0: Button. Button's hit. Button is fucking hit.
1: All right. I'm going to just cheat and not enter the podcast until I find the episode number.
0: Mm. Okay. It's what I thought
1: it was, so that's fine.
0: Uh, I'm going to guess 25. 25. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of And Then An Aeroplane.
0: <laughs> well, now you have to leave it in.
1: Uh, yeah, I have to leave it in. Uh, I'm Autumn. I'm joined by M. It's uh, anime time. It's anime time. Uh, people fucking love this anime that we're
0: going to talk about this they week. They do. They sure do. <laughs> I feel in we're many here. ways, like, we have, like, three three movies, four movies left, something like that. I feel in uh-huh. many ways, this is, like, still the, like, final boss of this podcast. And after this, it's all, like, just endgame stuff.
1: Yeah, this, uh, so we're talking about The Wind Rises. And when this movie came out, it, I know that Miyazaki retired, has retired, like, six times. But this really felt like Miyazaki's done after this. And like that may that just makes it feel like the podcast is done. But next is like the movie that I'm most looking forward to and yeah, have same. most been looking forward to for episodes and episodes now. Yep. So um Yeah, this felt this feels like a big thing to cross off the list. Yeah. Um, uh Oh, oh! I was gonna say one quick thing before we got into the actual episode, um, which was just that uh, between episodes, I watched Ghosh the Cellist, which is one of the uh, Takahata movies before Ghibli. Oh, people right. should watch that. You said it's it was really super good. good. Yeah, yeah. The um, Did you just Yahoo animate about...
0: that, or is it on something?
1: I just Yahoo animate it. Okay. Um, I'm still seeding it if people want to find it. <laughs> um it's just about like a very angsty boy who like learns to um play the cello better the story is whatever i just think it's like one of the most gorgeous movies like ever <laughs> so people should check that out <laughs> okay um it's like takahata 1982 i believe so it's like right before ghibli starts oh all right cool yeah but yeah, uh, The Wind Rises came out in 2013, uh, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, I imagine it's written by Hayao Miyazaki. Yes. Um, do you want to summarize it, or do you want me to summarize it?
0: Uh, well, I want to say it's based on a book, uh, The Wind Has Risen, by oh, Tatsu Hori. Yes. Um and, yeah, I can briefly summarize this, whatever. It's very short, actually. There's not a whole lot here. Mm-hmm. This is the story of Jiro uh, Horikoshi, who's a real person. Um, and as a young boy, he uh, wanted to be a pilot, but he wears glasses, so he can't be a pilot. And he reads about uh, Giovanni Battista Caproni, who's a famous Italian aircraft designer. And he's like, I want to be like him when I grow up. And dreams of meeting him in a, like... High uh magical realism like dreamscape that they both share as they dream of flying. It's it is heavily implied that he's actually talking to Caproni here. Um and we'll mm. just go with that as the read unless you object heavily. Um No, I'm good with that. Um And uh, he tells him, like, oh, I've never flown a plane myself, but I like building them. That's my dream. And so uh, we cut to him five years later when he's going to the university, and uh, he meets his girl right before an earthquake hits, and uh, their meet-cute is him helping her escape to her home, um, carrying her maid whose leg's broken, um, and then it cuts to him after he's graduated, and he's part of uh, you know aircraft manufacturer Mitsubishi. Maybe you've heard of them. And they're (laughs) working on airplanes, and that means they're working with Germany, uh, and they go to Germany to, like, figure out how the Germans build such good airplanes. There's a lot of weird uh, like, half-hearted attempts to be like, no, you don't understand that the Germans are really scary, even to the Japanese guys who are working with them on building their war machines. (laughs) Um, he becomes a, a chief designer. Uh, he starts working on his like magnum opus, uh, which turns out to eventually be, uh, the zero, which is, you know, the famous Japanese fighter plane or whatever. At the same time, um, he runs back into the girl that he met, uh, Naoko, and turns out that, uh, she, uh, remembers him and, uh, they're, they're in love. And that's what's going on. Except she's got tuberculosis and it, it's a, you know, faded situation. Like, you're, know, it's not, she's not coming back from that one. And mm-hmm. so uh, she's like, he's like, let's get married. And she's like, well, let's wait until I recuperate. Um, and she goes to a sanatorium to recuperate or whatever. Um, but her condition is failing as he's continuing to try to build this airplane. And so they push to get married despite her health declining. And they get married and like live together briefly as he like works and comes back to her and uh, her condition deteriorates enough that she leaves again. Um, and then as the zero is like taking off for the first time on his test flight, he feels the wind and uh, realized that she's died. Um, and then it cuts to after World War II, uh, Jiro and Caproni in the dreamscape, uh, walking over the wreckage of like hundreds of destroyed planes, uh, talking about how beautiful their dream was, even if it was used for, you know, horrible ends, uh, in war as they, uh, as they watch planes fly up into plain heaven. And, uh, (laughs) Caproni is like, remember, uh, Jiro, you need to remember to live life no matter what happens and walks away. And that's the end of the movie. It's the same Plain Heaven from Porco Rosso. Yeah. It's the same thing. Uh, Yeah.
1: something. Cook lives up there. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get to, like, uh, talking about this movie, uh, there's some voice actors
0: this time. So, okay, this is the weird situation, because the Japanese voice cast, like most Ghibli movies, is mostly just a bunch of, like tv actors and movie actors that i don't know a fucking thing about not a goddamn thing one exception Mm -hmm. one notable immense exception Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. is uh jiro himself as an adult is voiced by Hideaki ano if you don't know who Hideaki ano is maybe you're like listening to this podcast and i don't know what universe you came out of you don't know who ano is please let me know how this happened (laughs) um Hideaki Anno is a famous anime uh, (laughs) producer and director. He's known for Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, He directed Shin Godzilla. He made Gunbuster. Um... There's a bunch more of those. Are the, really the big ones? Kari Kano, um, Nadia, Secret of Blue Water. Anyway, he is an anime guy. He's a he's he's a, he's a director. He's an animation director. He's an animator and a director. Um, mm-hmm. And he's he's voicing the this, this, the main character of this story. And it's a, such a weird choice that we'll have to circle back around to in why Anno might have been chosen for this guy. Um, mm-hmm. In like what the movie's about. But as a voice acting thing. I immediately sat up. I'm like, this is really a weird choice. Like, he sounds like an old man. Why is, why is like 19 year old Jiro sound like an old man? I looked up, I was like, knocked over, couldn't knock me over the feather. I was so surprised that it was on no. out. Um, and um, the thing is though, I think he gives like a, a weird enough performance as like kind of a nerdy, quiet guy that it works mostly. I kind of like Yeah. It. I
1: feel like he's playing
0: himself yes. for the most part. <laughs> um, which. It, Thematically, when we get when we wrap around to talk about what this movie's about, I think it's kind of obscene, but I think it like as an artistic choice, it's not a bad one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, before we get into that, did you listen to any of the English version? No,
1: but I wish I had because I'm looking at the English cast and it's amazing.
0: <laughs> so, Jiro's voice by Joseph Gordon Levitt, uh, which is incredibly off as like a thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds, he sounds so fucking terrible. Um, Emily Blunt plays Naoko. She's pretty, I listened to it. Like I watched like 45 minutes of this again in Japanese or in English, just to get a sense of it. And, uh, Emily Blunt's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, you know, she does good work. Uh, John Krasinski continues to mumble his way through everything. That guy cannot act. Everyone needs to forget that he can Oh, he's act. terrible. Um, Werner Herzog plays the, uh, plays Kastorp, <laughs> the like German guy, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, William H Macy's in it, and uh, Stanley Tucci plays Caproni, which is like that's too on the nose. You can't ask Stanley Tucci to do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did. I literally thought that as I was looking at the English cast. I was like, "That's a little hmm,
0: okay." Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, uh, you know uh, it, it is. It is a typically stacked voice cast. I feel like they went above and beyond. This is not. This is not Disney is putting out. Um, the you know they're not getting their disney channel stars they're getting actual ass stars to do this i feel like this movie was going for oscars you know yeah, absolutely i mean it was it was um i mean all of them get nominated but yes it won a lot of awards it did not win the oscar that year that went to frozen um which
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm a i'm a little up and down on this movie i'll say it's better than Frozen. <laughs> Uh, if you ask me what I'd rather watch, I think I'd pick Frozen. I think The Wind Rises is <laughs> better than Frozen, but I we're going to get into it shortly here. I think this movie is fucking awful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm glad I'm warmer on it than you, but I'm not like I
0: don't I think this movie is a little overhyped <laughs> to say the least. I understand why people like it. Is the thing I, think, I understand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's just get into it. This movie is beautiful. Miyazaki shows mm-hmm. up, and the part where Miyazaki's like a control freak who half animates all the movies himself, like does all the key animation. You could, you could tell. You can tell. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it looks, it looks bouncy and like bright and colorful and like interesting, um, in every frame in a way that these movies haven't looked since Ponyo. <laughs> Like, only Miyazaki Miyazaki forces his staff to work this hard. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
1: so I have have two thoughts about, like, where to start this. Um, Yeah, okay. So, at almost the exact midpoint of this movie, um, Caproni and Jiro are having a conversation, and Caproni says, um, like take the pyramids for example would you rather uh like a lot of suffering goes into making the pyramids but would you rather live in a world with pyramids or without them i'd rather live in one with them and i i this the whole thesis of the movie is like oh well these planes that jiro is building are like you know tools of destruction but they're beautiful planes aren't they and um on some level like Miyazaki is destroying human lives to make this movie in this bizarre way that he
0: makes movies, but it's a beautiful movie, isn't it? And Uh, it's... (laughs) So... I don't understand what this movie's talking about because Caproni says this, mm-hmm. and I—I I believe a guy like Caproni would believe this. But yes, it's not 1930 something when we're watching this movie. We know, uh, based on all the material, that the pyramids are probably not built by like slave labor. They were probably like highly respected engineers because they built the fucking pyramids, and we don't know how to do that with our technology even. <laughs> um and so his like weird like Egyptomania talking out his ass about the weird racism of like Egypt building the pyramids makes sense for that character, but the movie's not about how he's wrong about that. The movie's about how he's right about that and how difficult it is to make beautiful objects that are co-opted for uh like human suffering. But we're talking about airplanes in a world where like when we when we're interested to Jiro, he's like drawing planes and like he makes paper airplanes and hobbyists exist yeah (laughs) people people make airplanes like on their own out of wood that they go up and fly or whatever like even in this era jiro could have just made planes on his own he could have left the country he could have uh just built them in his backyard like as like a hobby or whatever um no one is forcing him to build fighter planes for the japanese military except him <laughs> and the movie's not about that. It's not about that one bit. It's not about questioning his choice to do that. It's obviously if you want to make planes, you gotta make the best planes you can, and that means working at Mitsubishi making war planes. Um uh, but specifically every time asked about the human cost of that, going, well, I don't like war, but it's always what I had to do to get the planes made. So who who can say what's good and bad? Uh in a way that is not just like ignorant of the material situation, but like actively obscuring like, the actions and choices people in power make to produce things. hmm And then also tying that into the narrative of Miyazaki himself as, like, a man who, you know, famously is, like, not into anime, but it makes these beautiful, very expensive, very laborious projects, and is like, oh, is, is, is citrus worth it if I get to make the wind rises? Who can say? <laughs> <laughs> but... That's just people making cartoons. It's not bombing other countries.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, there's just a... I, I, I think it's a false equivalence when, like, we, we see, like... <sighs> we don't see the devastation. Like... Like the the damage that these planes are doing is like abstract
0: and distant, and like I I, I think <laughs> it's I think it's really telling that we see like m- large portions of Kanto like burn down in the earthquake, but we don't see the firebombing of Tokyo in World War Two, right? Like we yeah. don't see we don't see the planes wipe European countries and Japanese cities off the map, like entire generations died. We talked about this last movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, everyone grew up an orphan because everyone died in this war that was caused by people like him going, isn't it beautiful when I make this plane with smooth rivets?
1: Right. And the movie, I think, is perfectly... perfectly comfortable pointing to, oh, well, we use German technology and look how bad the Germans are. And... Um, Castorp can show up and say, oh, look at all these bad things that Imperial Japan has done. But like, it's not, it it wants to gesture at these things, but it it can't actually like reckon with the like terrible, terrible, horrifying things that like these planes did.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Miyazaki fundamentally has no material analysis, right? Like Mm -hmm. things just happen. People make choices. They live their personal narrative dramas and that's it. And everything else is an unforeseen circumstance, like, or consequence of those actions.
1: And the Pyramid's line feels like him walking right up to, like, almost understanding, like, oh, like, maybe, like, you know, if you use all this human suffering to build a terrible thing, like, maybe it's bad. And then just, like, backs away from it, because no, fuck that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know?
2: I think the part where,
0: like... All these characters are like quietly but not actually materially critical of the Nazis. Like all these people working with the Nazi war machine definitely just thought the Nazis were bad people, but hey, it's a great way to get access, right? Mm-hmm. How like, can you say that? <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that like the American government took all those Nazi scientists and put them to work on like getting you know Americans to the moon. Like, we are not mm-hmm. not guilty of this. Oh uh, yeah. But as someone who is aware of this history, like Miyazaki grew up in a post-war Japan, he knows all this and is not talking about it. And is instead talking Mm -hmm. about the idea that like the individual dream and the human narrative supersedes like mass tragedy in a way that Mm -hmm. is, is like it's violence and it's wrong. It is, it's Mm -hmm. morally reprehensible as a, as a worldview to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) Uh, I, it's such a weird thing Um, I watched a little bit of Kiki again last week and I was reminded of like oh right like th- this movie makes me so mad <laughs> but also it's so easy to get swept up in how beautiful it is and so like I understand why people like this movie because I think it's like gorgeous and I think the last 30 minutes are like a totally different movie on some level because it's just about um his wife having tuberculosis and they just leave everything behind and so like I understand how you can just get swept up in this and like think it's really pretty but like the, the thing
0: the, the movie's about awful things <laughs> the, the thing about that that I don't like is that it then reframes like everything he's doing in conventional biopic frameworks where yes. his human tragedy of his wife is what supersedes his work but he's not he's not not building planes he's like smoking drawing up plans doing math while she's holding his hand dying right like Mm-hmm. Him, his personal tragedy has nothing to do with the reality of his situation. It doesn't change his mind. It doesn't make him to det- like stop building planes. He doesn't think, oh, people die because of what I do. He builds the goddamn plane. Yeah. And at the like, at the end of the day, doesn't doesn't actually feel bad about it.
1: No, no. Like he and he acknowledges like not one of those planes came back in the final scene. But like, then Caproni just pats him on the back like. Well, that's what planes are destined to do, you know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) simply couldn't be
0: helped. And and Um, Caproni ends up being, like, this weird, like, parody figure of the, like, scientists in Miyazaki's earlier movies, right? Like, he's like an airship mm -hmm. pilot, basically. And Mm -hmm. he builds these giant, like four-tiered giant monstrosities like um, Spruce Groose-esque like boondoggles (laughs) right we see them fail but they're whimsical in the way they fail it's like thousands of men hanging off of the planes as they collapse under their own weight and just not like the stuff that we like the Sky Pirates in Laputa was like had in their possession right like they're they're fantasy planes Um, and so this character going up and being like it's okay you did your best and uh, honestly all this is about is like the beautiful dream of flight to the man who built war machines uh right is is like like Miyazaki might as well have Totoro walk up to him and be like it's okay that you made like you made anime popular because you made me and give him a hug and bounce away <laughs> into his magical fucking tree
1: which is like why I think it ends up being important that Ono is like the lead actor of this movie because like Ano is just like the next generation of like the guy that Miyazaki is. I don't think he's like as exacting and weird as Miyazaki is, but like he's like taking up that mantle. It's weird
0: though because Ano's reputation is not Miyazaki, it's it's Tomino. Like Ano worked. In Mecca, Ano worked in like a very different, very like engaged with politics worldview of making anime. The people he looks up to are like Oshi and you know and Tomino, Mm -hmm. who are people who can't help but put their ideology in everything. And Ano makes anime that has ideology in it. It's all about his. Like I think Ano is like a a a dumb guy who makes dumb guy anime sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of it I like and some of it I really fucking hate. But he's always making it about something. And it's so Mm -hmm. weird that Miyazaki looks to who he. put in and he picks Ano because Ano makes anime that I would assume Miyazaki fucking hates. Right? <laughs> but but what actually I think is the true here, and I maybe it's not, I don't know. But to me it feels like Miyazaki was like, who is who is the next generation that is like, I can't voice his character, I'm too old. That's too much even for me. Who's the next generation? Oh Ano, I've heard of him. Never watched anything he's fucking made, but I'll pick him out of anyone to be the person. <laughs>
1: I, w- I would believe that. I would sooner believe that than like, because like, there's no way he likes Evangelion.
0: <laughs> I mean, if, if that's not true, please someone write in and tell me. I need to know if Miyazaki has seen and enjoys Evangelion or any other ano <laughs> anime, but I just can't see it. Um, like if he'd gotten the thing is like he like. This should be voiced by, like, Hasoda. But Hasoda's already fucked off to make his own movies. He's like, screw you guys. I don't need you. Right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's literally what I thought about. I also, I thought about, um, I'm going to look up what his name is real quick. Um, The guy who directed Whisper of the Heart, um, Kondo. Like, I thought about him a lot during this movie because, like, he, he didn't need to die for anime. You know? And I think it's, like, kind of gross for Miyazaki to come back you know, 10, 15 years later after that happens and um, be like, you know, sometimes just terrible things happen while producing art when, like, he knew someone who died doing this, you know? Like... Yeah. He, he probably knew several people. It's just that's the most famous one. I... I, I like this movie.
0: It's gross <laughs> even even if you want to accept like people if you want to accept like the argument for militarism and nationalism or like we're in a situation where you need to build the planes they're going to war someone's got to build them might as well be me uh, I don't personally necessarily agree with that but even if you accept that for someone later decades later to be like this is like when I make cartoons is so gauche <laughs> I don't understand how you you connect these things and not not feel like filthy about what you've done. <laughs> you you're right. You're absolutely right. Um and the, and because Japan is in the situation sin like it's it it's a conservative government has been for decades at this point. Like this movie comes out to people mad that it's like an anti-war movie and I j- I don't see it. This movie's about how as long as you feel bad it's okay to bomb people.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I think Camille said on Twitter the other day, like, he's anti-war, don't ask what anti-war means, <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> and, like, um, yeah, like, I, you know, I, Miyazaki is a deeply conservative person, yep. um, I don't know, how you watch his movies and get anything else out of that i thought about this movie um sometimes in conversation with shin godzilla 2 because of like the conversation we had about like that being a like pretty nationalist movie but what does that mean in the context of like um japan being like occupied for the however many decades now um and like i i just think that the movie <laughs> The way that this movie is um, about similar things of like nationalism and like Japanese pride, I just think it comes off bad when like the thing you're proud of is World War II. <laughs> yep. I
0: don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. <sighs> yeah, and the inspiration of like it's whatever, whatever reality happens is fine as long as it was in the pursuit of like a beautiful dream is is like the the end indiv- of the way it centers individualism Kind of calls me into question, like all of the things Miyazaki's done, like the ways in which we find friction with a lot of his work is because he often falls into narratives that are like, this one girl is special. She's going to get it done. And that's what, that's what makes the story good. That's what makes her good and what happens to her good. Um, but if all that's in service to someone who doesn't understand why it's bad to build weapons for a war effort, uh, despite being a professed person Mm -hmm. who hates war, um, then I don't I don't know what to, what to say like Shiro the, the manga creator um, mm. made uh, made like Dominion and um, Ghost of Shaw and stuff. Dude fucking loves guns. He's gonna make a manga about guns. I don't particularly <laughs> like enjoy that necessarily, but at least it's consistent. <laughs> For someone who apparently hates war, Miyazaki really likes to make movies about how sick war is and like building the machines of war are.
1: <laughs> You're totally right. Um... And, like, it's it's just so weird because I think the first hour or so of this movie is really about that. And then um, Caproni has his last big dream sequence for a little while. Like, he shows up a bunch in the first hour and then not as much in the second half of the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in that last um, scene is, like... Well, isn't it worth it if you go make a beautiful thing? And then the movie kind of pivots into, let's just make a really nice, like, romantic like, Star-Crossed Lovers thing, um, and drops a lot of the, like, thinking about, um, thinking about plain production at all. It doesn't completely drop it, but it pivots away from that in a big way, and so, like, He, halfway through the movie, he has, like, a dream guy show up and say, it's okay to just make the pretty anime. And then he just goes and makes the pretty anime and stops worrying as much about if it's bad or not.
2: Yeah.
1: (sighs) Yep. Uh, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that, like, I think the scene, um, I think the scenes, um, after... Uh, Jiro has one of like the, one of the planes he designs, like fails miserably. And he goes and spends some amount of time at this hotel where he reconnects with, um, uh, Naoko and he meets Castor. And I think those scenes at the hotel are really good. Like they're the best part of this movie, but like, they've got nothing to do with what the movie's about on some level. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a really good interview that it, I'll try to remember to link in this or not an interview. It's just like a news article um, about around this, when this came out um, and the the accusations leveled at uh, Miyazaki. Uh, worth pointing out, like historically, like the movie doesn't actually get into the details, of the production of this stuff, but like the zeros were the planes that did Pearl Harbor, right? Like they're, they're, they're like the, mm-hmm. the, the forefront of the planes of the Japanese war effort. Um, most of them are built uh, in, in Korea by forced labor when Japan invaded. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. Korea during the war. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's a man who used like, you know, prison and slave labor for his stuff. Um, mm-hmm. meanwhile, like everyone in Japan's calling him a traitor for you going against you know the history of the glory of Japan or whatever, because that's where Japan's at these days. Um mm-hmm. and Miyazaki's response to this is like, I'm a pacifist, but I have complex feelings about it. Cause like I think the I think what the Japanese military did was wrong. But the quote about the zero specifically is like. It's almost – it's, like, out of my lane in terms of talking about because I feel like it represents, like, a critique of your own culture that, like, is so, – to me, reads really bad. But the quote mm-hmm. is, the Zero represented one of the few things we Japanese could be proud of. They were truly a formidable presence, and so were the pilots who flew them. How could you be a pacifist and say that? Unless no, I, unless I, unless you were, like you're, – you're fetishizing of the, the machines of the military – over like supersedes the the acts that they did in in the way that you get when you you live in a country with like low gun crime but every like military otaku exists right mm-hmm
1: yeah yep.
0: um like the
1: the at the start of the movie um it shows like a little poetic line um which is, like, the wind rises, we we must try to live. Um, and that's just repeated a bunch of times throughout the movie. And, like, this is always, like, kind of a, like, you know, we have to press on because, like, the wind is still rising and, like, you know. But, like, for whom is the wind, like like, in this, like, who gets to benefit from that? Because it's not, like, you know people who are building the planes it's fucking jiro you know who has like all the privilege in the world in this situation Mm -hmm. so i don't know yep
0: (sighs) um and for all that like it's it's frustrating because the movie's so well made like right like this is a Mm -hmm. a beautiful movie i think the like emotional content with him and his wife is like interesting um It's, like, quiet and sad in a way that the the stuff typically, like, hasn't been in a long time. Um, Yeah. But then I look at it and I'm like, Grave of the Fireflies exists. And these came out of the same company. And it's, like, it's literally, like, 25 years apart or whatever. But you can Mm -hmm. tell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's, It's so frustrating to see that happen like the the way in which miyazaki's lionized means that he can just make this movie and people are gonna like critique it but they're gonna critique it in the way that makes it blood bigger right like this is the movie about like oh this is a Japanese master taking on part of like an uncomfortable part of his history in a way that like really shows you how it is as the movie itself is not about any of that
1: yeah I it doesn't really show it how it is because like you don't see like You don't see any of the bombing, you -hmm. know, you don't see any of the like, you know, fighter planes shooting people down, you know? (laughs) Um, I feel like I feel like we blazed through that. Oh, it's been 30 minutes. It's been 30 minutes.
0: Like there's only one thing to say. We just say it a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um. Should we, should we go to questions? Do we have anything yeah, else besides? No,
0: I think we can just go to questions. Okay, I didn't. I don't like being the person who comes on here and says all the beloved Ghibli movies suck, and I feel like that's happened. <gasps> I mean, I like I like Spirited Away. I like Ponyo. I'm really mad finding out that he was going to make Ponyo two and made this instead. Um, oh, what? Yes.
1: Fuck this movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was about to say like,
1: it's funny because. I texted Molly right before we recorded, I'm like, Oh, I'm glad that I'm gonna come in like a little warmer on like the beloved Miyazaki movie for once in my fucking life. And then like you came in hot and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna meet them there. Like fuck this movie.
0: <laughs> um so Yeah. The thing is if if it was it was if it was any more self-reflexive I think it'd be a much better movie and the craft mm-hmm. is such that you're like okay Miyazaki's going to come in he's going to spend you know 8 years making his movie like you know we were still waiting on his next one after this um he's going yeah. to take forever to make his movies um and they're going to be beautiful and that's part of the the equation you're doing when you watch Miyazaki films and um if the if the content was there I think this movie would have a lot to could have a lot to say and be interesting but he's not that person he never was
1: yeah I think the the best that he does in this movie is walking up to a really interesting question and then shying away from it yeah um, and not and, and also not making it about him
0: away. in a way that sucks
1: <laughs> oh yeah this movie is so about him. I know we've said that a dozen times, but that was not something I was ready for I guess like I feel like I've heard everybody talk about how it's about the planes and I did not know that it was about him, but like in the first fifteen minutes it's like, oh, this is a movie about him <laughs> yeah. You know
0: Anyway, uh, we have questions. Uh, You can send them to podcast at normalmapping.com for any uh, future questions. Uh, You know, we still take questions on old movies if you want to. Um, The first one comes from Adam. At what point in Miyazaki's career should he have quit animation and gone into aviation?
1: (laughs) Can I say after Nausicaa? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sure. (laughs) There's movies I like after Nausicaa, but like...
0: Um... Yeah, I mean, he probably had enough money that he could have just fucked off and made planes in his backyard, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, like, I'd probably, like, after Porco Rosso, like, things start getting, like, really up and down, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, it would be funny if he made Porco Rosso and then fucked off and made planes forever. So, yeah, I'll say Porco Rosso.
0: Uh, did you read up on Jiro Horikoshi either before or after watching the movie? And if so, did it uh, affect your read on the film? No. Um, I did, but I don't think it changed my opinion of the movie. I feel like the movie uh, is extremely not actually about him anytime it wants to not be about him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, that's a good way of putting that. Okay. Um, I got an email here. Uh, it's about only yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah. Well, I wanted to show my kid niece her first Ghibli film and decided to go with this one. We both went in saying spoilers and halfway through I felt I made a mistake. What are the chances this (laughs) film could hack a kid up?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I
1: just think a kid would be bored. This. That
0: was my reaction. Um, I know there's like, you know, there's like, like the dad hits her in that movie or whatever when she's a kid. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was growing up, a movie that every every kid of my age saw was a movie called Radio Flyer. I don't know if you know about this. Probably it's forgotten, basically. But it's about it's like two brothers who want to build, (laughs) surprisingly, want to like build an airplane out of their like red wagon. They want to put wings on it and fly away. And that's because their dad is like super abusive. And I don't know if this is true. I didn't look it up on Wikipedia, but I remember one of the kids uh, being murdered by their father and then the other kid getting away. That's how that movie ends. It's a heartwarming <laughs> film that you want to show kids in the in the early 90s. Um <gasps> only yesterday is fine. It like it might lead to some interesting conversations, but I think those conversations are fine for kids to have. Uh kids mm-hmm. should know that some parents, you know, hit their kids and we don't think that's okay. And you know, tell an adult if that happens.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I I think it's fine to show a kid only yesterday. I just if I were you know yes, 10, I, would have been super bored. I would be I would have been profoundly please, bored. Please I would be like, can you watch know. Ponyo?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ponyo Spirit, uh, Spirited Away. I feel like used to be like the one that everybody's like, "Oh, this is like a really good like kids and adults movie." Um. Yep. Uh yeah.
0: I think if I was, t- I mean, I I don't know because I wasn't ten, but if I was ten, I feel like Spirited Away probably would even bore me a little bit. I don't yeah, know if, how I... old this kid is. It is not sending email, so no. Um. Ponyo,
1: though Ponyo is great. Yeah,
0: uh, we've got an email from Joe uh, who says uh, this is one of two Jilby movies I watched in a movie theater. The other being Princess Kaguya. Um, coming back to it, it, I think it was a formative experience for me, not because of the quality of the film, but because I vividly remember ideology hitting me like a truck when a character says airplanes are not tools for war; they're not for making money. Airplanes are dreams on top of a war machine that is going to war. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we both latched onto this same scene. <laughs> um, three questions here. Is Hiro and by proxy Miyazaki Otacon? Uh,
1: I, I so I don't know much about Otacon, but Nora and I were talking about this movie last night, and I think Nora was like, I think he's an Otacon from how you're describing him. So I
0: think I think that uh, uh, Jiro and Miyazaki are Hueys, not Otacons, which is so much worse. It's so much fucking worse.
1: Okay, see, like, you asked me before you recorded, like, how much Metal Gear I know. I don't know who Huey is. Huey is Otakar's first...
0: dad in Metal Gear Solid, uh, Peace Walker and 5. Um, okay. And he is also a coward who builds war machines and then feels bad about it. But what he does is turn that into being angry at other people for making him build the war machines that he decided that he oh, was going sure. to make. <laughs> Fuck this guy. <laughs> yes, he's, he's the fucking worst character in the entire universe. Um, favorite airplane <laughs> in this movie.
1: Um, I like, I like the one, um, it's weird cause you don't actually see him build the zero. You see him build like whatever, like the thing that leads to the zero. Yeah. Is, the I one think. with like
0: the bent wings. I really like the one with the bent wings. Yeah. I think that thing's neat as hell. I like Caproni's big three tiered nightmare dream plane. I think it's sick as hell.
1: I, I do love, um, cause there's the, there's the plane that he builds that takes off from the water and immediately falls apart and then there's the other one that's like um got like every single person in town stuffed in there and like the plane becomes very malleable because it's a dream and like everybody's like pushing on the steel and like that's not how planes work obviously but like Mm -hmm. that was really good
0: yep and then uh, I think we might have answered this third question, but it's about uh, how do you feel about the depiction of Juro as an accomplished of the war effort while uh, while being a pacifist relates to Miyazaki's view of his position as an artist? I'd be really interested in how Miyazaki thinks of the cultural reception of Ghibli films in a world where like Japan has only grown more conservative over his entire career. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's enough framework of him talking about his work to say. Um, mm-hmm. But if anyone knows anything about that specific thing, I would like to read his thoughts on that. I think I, I, think yeah. I wouldn't like them, but I want to read them anyway.
1: <laughs> I need Miyazaki's thoughts about Ghibli movies. I need Tomino's thoughts about uh, Gundam. You know.
0: Uh, I want to talk to Tomino about a lot of things. I don't know if Gundam's actually on the list anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um... Let's see. Uh, we've got questions from Tron. Let's see if uh, we've covered any of these. Uh, Tron asked about the soundtrack. Joe Hisaishi's she's back uh, miserable. Miserable. Oh, I uh, kept getting it mixed up with a theme from Porco Rosso. Yes. Um, Tron also asked about the sound design. The part where the plane engines just make human, like, foley mouth noises is very good.
1: Yeah, that shit rules.
0: Yeah. All the planes, like, putter. Like, it's just someone in a mic going... P-p-p-p-.
1: <laughs> uh, I probably wouldn't have noticed it if someone hadn't pointed it out to me, but Zhuo had pointed it out to me like when I was like ten minutes into the movie, and then from then on, I was like, "Oh, that's rad as shit," because you can hear it, you know. Yeah. yeah. But it's also
0: convincing. Yep. Um, who's your favorite character in this movie? I think there's oh, Naoko probably. Um, mine is uh, Jiro's sister. I think she's great every time she shows up.
1: I just I. I just like the doomed woman. It's just my thing, you know?
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I just like... Uh, I, I just think his sister's really good. She's very forthright. She has no interest in any of his bullshit. Uh, oh, she hates his shit. <laughs> yes. But she's like, how dare you marry this doomed woman that I like and is nice? <laughs> what stupid tragedy have you invited into our life?
1: Because <laughs> that's the other thing, is he he, like... We didn't talk about this at all, but he, like, moves into um, his boss's house at some point, and, like, his boss just seems like the nicest person who's ever existed to, like, put up with this. Yes. <laughs> his boss also seems to have, like, money, so it's probably fine, but, like, yeah.
0: Um, we got an email from Alec, uh, that says, uh, recently found out that Miyazaki's father was an airplane builder in World War II, which, for me, made the romanticization of building warplanes in the movie hit a bit different. Does this change how you feel about the movie and how it frames Jiro's work? Um, no. I think it just
1: drives the point home, but, like, we, it doesn't change anything. It's like, oh, okay,
0: those things Miyazaki's problem has always been the romanticization of, like, a bygone era, Mm -hmm. and it just so happens that era is, like... World War 2 and post World War 2 Japan in a way that is like like what are you ta- what are you talking about? <laughs> Just cuz yeah. you grew up in it doesn't mean it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the 80s. The 80s fucking sucked. There's nothing redeeming about them.
1: I grew up in like I was born in 86. So like I grew up in the 2000s. I I I know there's no redeeming that shit like
0: <laughs> yep. Um Anthony writes in, uh, "What are some of your favorite planes or other ve- air vehicles, real or fictional?"
1: I feel like I've talked about all of them on in the course of this podcast. Like I don't, Have we? you know what? I've been reading some Star Wars this week. I think the X-wing is fucking cool.
0: You know what's cooler than an X-wing? Hmm, a Y-wing. I think X wings are cooler than Y wings, but I respect it. I think I think X wings being good at everything makes me like them a lot less. Like they're they're the hero plane in like a very specific way of that they're long range. They can bomb. They can dogfight. Mm-hmm. They can do whatever the fuck you need them to do because the hero's in it. Luke Skywalker's in it. Y wings are just bombers. They suck. They're old. They're slow. They bomb. That's what they do. I think that's so much it's- cooler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so in um. In the first X Wing book, Rogue Squadron, um, there's like a a lot of stuff about how, oh yeah, those fucks over in the Y Wing squad, like, those Y Wings suck. Like, they're always talking shit about the Y Wing people, and I'm like, leave them alone. And then also, um, Wedge at some point is like, this is an X Wing squadron, so maybe you think that, like, the A Wing is cooler, or, you know, this other thing is cooler, but this is the fucking X Wing squadron. We fly X Wings, we've done it since the first movie, that's what we're fucking doing now. Yeah. Um I also uh the the Delta 7 the the triangle shaped Jedi starfighter. I don't like the Jedi starfighter from Revenge of the Sith as much.
0: Okay. I think I I think I prefer the Revenge of the Sith one. I like that it looks like a tie fighter.
1: Um yeah, I Revenge of the Sith is the one that really leans into the oh, this is going to become all the um uh empire shit and I think that's good, but yep. I just think the triangle one is goofy looking
0: <laughs> i um uh, my interest in spaceships is more to the like like white base enterprise like big capital ship kind of thing in a way mm-hmm. that i feel like is out of the framework of this question um a little bit um but if we're just like talking airplanes that are cool i i uh, or flying vehicles i I still really like nausicaa's big glider i think that's like all-timer good oh yeah for vehicle. sure um and uh um I, I like the Batplane. I like Batman a lot. So Batplane like bat good. Batplane bat plane strong. What if it's just a... I, specifically the one from the animated series, that's like a flying saucer. It just does whatever right. fiction needs it to do. It just hovers, <laughs> but it's a plane.
1: <laughs> it's so good.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, we've got an email from Jackson, uh, who uh, could not join us today. I will read the entire email verbatim uh, in honor of our fallen friend who could not catch up in time to be on this podcast um probably for the best yes uh sorry i could not be there the epic saga of, of will jackson make it had a very boring and predictable conclusion the jackson of three months ago would absolutely have done something incredibly stupid and crammed these movies in a week but i've been taking it very light the last month and i'm feeling much better for it healthy jackson au Ocarina of time jackson au <laughs> Uh, I don't have any updated takes on this movie I haven't watched it since 2013 but I loved it at the time and somewhat suspected I wouldn't anymore given literally every single thing it's about. Instead of a take Mm -hmm. I have some cursed knowledge for you and uh, you can choose to read this or you can choose to free the audience from this burden. I'm reading it obviously, you sent it to me Uh, The reason Jackson went to see The Wind Rises, of course, a massive back-and-forth article between, uh, at the time, probably Badass Digest's Devin Ferossi and Film Crit Hulk, where one of them thought it was a masterpiece of moral reckoning with art, and the other thought it was repugnant. You, my friends, have to tell me who was which. I must stress again, it was 2013, you cannot judge me, Jackson. (laughs)
1: i remembered this article
0: <laughs> okay i have not read this article but i have i have a pretty good sense of i know who it is uh film crit hulk if you don't know is a fucking neoliberal asshat on twitter who talks too much about anime in the bad way and he used to review movies as a gimmick where he talks in all caps doesn't do that anymore he fucking sucks Devin ferrassi uh, also sucks he's a movie reviewer who was very influential to me who grew up on film in the odds, but turns out he was a big sex creep and despite that continues a to work in film one. yeah uh just a real fucking monster um Mm-hmm. It was 2013. No one can judge Jackson for reading this. Uh, my guess, I'm pretty sure that Devin Ferossi would have thought that and then an airplane was repugnant. He probably <laughs> would, actually, because we called him a fucking monster. But he probably thought The Wind <laughs> Rises was repugnant. I think film, film Crit Hulk would have loved this shit. Just ate it up. I,
1: I remember this article, and it was absolutely that Film Crit Hulk thought this was one of the best movies <laughs> yes. like ever. And... Like I did I didn't remember the Devin Ferracci part of it, but like yeah, I'm I'm sure that he thought this was pregnant. I remember his taste. Um yeah, the the weird thing is that like I really wanted to be like a movie critic for a couple years and I was a um, movie
0: critic for a couple years.
1: <laughs> Devin like I really looked up to Devin Ferracci, and yeah, like realizing that about him, I was like, Oh, I need to like evaluate some things, you know? Yes. <laughs> like um much happier now.
0: <laughs>
1: uh yeah. I mean I don't I really, listen to his I don't really podcast follow for the film gimmick.
0: criticism anymore, so
1: Me neither. Me neither. Um, he had a whole podcast where the gimmick was just I'm going to harass my female co-host and Yeah,
0: I know about that. I was I was already not listening to him before that happened. I thought I'd kind of grown out of his like whole shtick. Um mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, the benefit of being quite a few years older than you, I guess. <laughs> um <laughs> But um yeah, no at the like I, I was following him when he wrote for Chud and Chud was like <laughs> Chud and Ain't it cool news in like the mid aughts or why I wanted to do film. I was like, Man, movies are so exciting. Uh-huh. Um man, talk about hoisted. So hoisted.
1: <laughs> People don't even know what badass digest is anymore. Oh, no, right, one right, knows birth, what you mean death. if you say that. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: I stopped reading it way before they really renamed it, so i i probably fell off right around the time that they renamed it so um and then we have one final question and this is from aiden um if you can retroactively cast Hediaki ano as the voice of any character in any anime what do you choose
1: so like there's the obvious answer uh gendo right, right?
0: <laughs> gendo's the most <laughs> obvious answer in the world Shinji,
1: but yeah it's gendo
0: right it's gendo. Like... he's just gendo he's gendo he's gendo gendo is a self-insert that's that's literally <laughs> the text of Evangelion, and if it's not the text of Evangelion, it's definitely the text of Rebuild of Evangelion. So, the, the um, the fourth one's coming out soon, isn't it? Yep, yep, sometime this year. I'm really okay. excited. Um, that means
1: I'm probably gonna have to finally watch the rebuilds. Um, I
0: like them quite a bit. Uh, we're probably gonna cover them in some fashion. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but there's gonna be a beach house about rebuild at some point. We've we've said that. I can say that here. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, you've
1: been saying that for like two years now. So okay,
0: okay. I say a lot of <laughs> shit though. I don't remember it all.
1: Uh, so who are you gonna cast? Um. So I I've got Ghibli on the brain, and I'm like looking at like terrible choices I could make. Maybe how? Like, okay. <laughs> <Sure>. I think. <laughs> I think howl is a very funny answer.
0: All right. Uh that's I don't I don't hate it. Um <laughs> I I have an answer that I think is like funny, but I think it, it I think it would also be fun but only for like one movie. And then you'd have to not <laughs> do it ever again because it'd be terrible. I want Hideaki Ano to voice Lupin the 3rd.
1: I saw Lupin and I was like, "Hmm.
0: Hmm."
1: But like, what if what if Gynax did a um Lupin movie and Anu did the voice? That would be bad. Uh, God,
0: be, I mean, Gynax doesn't exist really anymore, so no one's doing that. But yeah, no. <laughs> um I just think it'd be funny if if Lupin, instead of being like like they're they're the voices of Lupin and Ano have a similar quality like they're both kind of like higher voices than you expect out of that character and but like Lupin's like a goofy cartoon man and Anno's, like a really uptight nerd man and I think it'd be funny if Lupin for one movie was an uptight <laughs> nerd man but like still had to live in the world of lupin if if he played if he played the um this the sixties sixties Casino Royale. Uh the whole thing about that is James Bond gets captured and his like nephew has to be James Bond. If he, if he if Hideakiano voiced Lupin the third's cousin, uh who had to pretend mm. to be Lupin in a movie, I think it'd be really fucking good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I could yeah, I could see that. I like this. I like this a lot. Um but uh that's it. Thank you everyone again. Podcast abnormalmapping.com. Uh, next time we're watching uh Kaguya, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm so excited.
1: The last uh the last like thing that Takahata ever did, really, yep. um, before he passed away. So I'm so fucking excited for this movie. Even if it even if it's not good, like I think it'll be good. And also I think like this movie's gorgeous from everything I've seen.
0: So yeah. uh so we'll be talking about that in probably like three weeks. We'll see. We're getting close. We have that, then we have uh when Marnie was there, right? That's after that. Yep. yep. And then and then we have that CG movie that came out over Christmas. I assume that's gonna have mm. subs at some point. And then we said we we're gonna watch the documentary. And then we're we're done.
2: Yeah.
1: I keep forgetting we said we we're gonna watch the documentary. I think that'll be good. I just keep forgetting we said it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um so that's it. Plugs, autumn. Uh you can find me
1: on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee um export audio. We haven't done a lot of export lately because we've been doing Newbie, we've been doing a bunch of other stuff, but we just did export uh, on Wednesday, and it's fucking good. Export audio. It's a great podcast. It's my favorite podcast to make, to listen to.
0: You talked about Star Wars for like an hour. It was... (laughs) It was something. Talked about too much Star Wars. Um you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. You can find all my podcasts at normalmapping.com mapping.com. Uh, I don't normally like advertise it, but if you go to our Patreon and if you pledge at $10, you get VoIP life comes out every two weeks. It's me and Jackson hanging out, talking for an hour about random bullshit because of you and Nora. Mm-hmm. We talked about Star Wars for about 40 minutes on the upcoming VoIP life. So everyone look forward to that.
1: <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm both responsible because, uh, I've been talking about Star Wars nonstop for weeks and Also, because uh, you weren't supposed to record VoIP Life yesterday, but I didn't watch this movie in time. So you did VoIP Life yesterday and this podcast today.
0: Yeah. And what that meant was that all we did was talk about uh, podcasts and Star Wars and video games. But mostly it ended up being about Star Wars.
1: (sighs) I'm going to read that new fucking High Republic book. I will not.
0: Everyone else will. I will not. That's
1: it. I just need to We yeah, can't we can't
0: time. talk about this. I refuse we to can't. let you talk about this. We can't. <laughs> uh <laughs> You're thank right. you everyone for listening. We'll be back later. Uh watch something that isn't fucking Studio Ghibli. Bye. Yeah, please.